Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. It's Friday the 29th of November coming up. New Bishop of Dover outlines aims for Kent. To be alongside and to bring hope to those who are most vulnerable in our community. Shoppers react to plans for department store. You've got this bland, um, simple kind of monopoly house shape of a building uh, that doesn't really reflect any of the materials that are the characteristics of Canterbury. And Gillingham prepare to host Doncaster Rovers in second round of FA Cup. It'll be a tough challenge we've dealt with Sunderland. Can we deal with Doncaster? It's a question mark over all of us. Kent Online exclusive. But first, we're going to start with the mum of a baby who was murdered by his dad in Broadstairs, who's spoken exclusively to Kent Online as he starts a life sentence. Mackenzie Ellis was rushed to hospital in July last year after Lee Vernon called emergency services saying his son was unconscious. The little boy died three days later. At the time, the 21-year-old claimed his son had accidentally fallen and hit himself on the arm of a sofa before falling to the floor. Medical experts found Mackenzie had suffered multiple injuries on at least two occasions. Katrina Ellis has been speaking to Joe. The evidence you had to hear during the trial was particularly difficult, wasn't it? It was very difficult because half of it I didn't know, didn't know anything about it. And it shocked me, really did shock me, like on a six-week-old baby. And obviously I was caring for him, how did I not notice, like, so I took him to the hospital and doctors. They all told me it was colic. I believed them, and now I'm thinking, how did I not notice? Like, I feel like I failed Mackenzie. You definitely didn't, because it wasn't just you that didn't notice, and it wasn't just you that maybe believed those lies either, that you mm. always was led to believe that it was, it was something else and, and that Lee hadn't done anything. Did that make it that much harder that when you did hear all of what happened? Yes, very. Like, he lied to my face, like... He was a father. How can you do that? It makes me feel sick thinking about it. You said you, you hate him. How, do you, how yeah. would you feel towards him? Hate him. Like, I can't stress it enough. I'm ashamed of myself for sticking by his side. Like, I lost nearly everyone for it. But now, like, just looking at him in the courtroom, it just makes you want to scream at him. No. That must have been that much harder because you were there every single day. Yeah. Looking at the father of your, your child. He's, he was, a, you know, that he was looking. He was. The whole case was about his son. Mm. Did that make it extra difficult for you, knowing that it was someone so close to you? Yes, very. Like he was pretty much my first for everything. I gave everything to him, and. To know I put all my love in there, like, did was he this man? He said he was because now I don't think he was. Like, I don't know how to describe it. Do you think you were almost sold, not sold a dream, but do you feel like you were you you were led to believe he was someone he wasn't? Yes, definitely. Like when Mackenzie was born, we got engaged. He seemed so happy about having Mackenzie. And now, now I think about it, was he happy? Because at some points, it seemed like because I gave Mackenzie most of my attention, was he jealous of that? Because he was that type of person, I didn't see it then. 
but people pointed it out to me. Was that why? Like, you felt to what? Like you, you mentioned in your statement as well how it affected you and your family. Can you talk to us a little bit about that. It affected all of us hugely. It came, it came between me and my dad because I stuck by Lee. Obviously, I should have listened to him, but I believe Lee. And it drifted me and my dad apart. Most of my friends, they didn't want to know me. It's affected my mental health severely. I'm having to take medication. It affects my sleep, my eating. I find it difficult to think happy thoughts now. So I just keep thinking what happened or I keep having flashbacks to when Mackenzie was in the hospital when he died. The dreams, they don't stop. It's difficult. How hard was it for you being such a young girl? You're 19 years old. <laughs> I would never have thought this, like, ever. Like, when I was a little girl, I used to picture me having a baby, living happily, gone. Like, I didn't plan to have a child at a young age, but Mackenzie came along and I didn't regret it because he was perfect. And now I feel like it's going to affect me hugely with getting into a new relationship. So I'm scared to get close to someone. I just don't know. Do you feel like you're running an autopilot a little bit at times? Do you feel like you just... Obviously, the strength you've showed is absolutely incredible. Do you feel like you're... You, you're you're just running on fumes sometimes. Yes, like, people have told me I'm brave and strong, but when I'm alone, I'm tearing myself apart. There are times when I wish I don't want to be here, when I wish I could be with Mackenzie, but there's not really anything you can do, unfortunately. This man has ruined your life, hasn't it? Yeah, hugely. Talk to me, let's turn it to your good memories of Mackenzie and what he was like. He had ginger hair, unfortunately, like me. He had beautiful blue eyes. He was he loved his bouncer. Always happy in his bouncer. Remember him watching me as I walk around. He loved cuddles. Loved them. Remember stroking his hair, soft, football, he loved football. Out of everything that was on T V he wouldn't watch, even though he couldn't see properly. If football was on, you couldn't get like you couldn't take his eyes off the T V. He's just a happy little boy. Future footballer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You mentioned how it's um, affected you and, and how that has been. Can you just go into a little bit more detail on, on how it will affect you going forward? Because you mentioned obviously starting relationships and moving forward with your life now, that would be pretty difficult, I expect, for you. I honestly don't know where to start. Like, I don't know where to pick myself up from, how to restart, because. He's scarred me. Like I'm gonna get scared to get close to someone because what if they? I'm gonna have that thing. Like what if they do it? What if they like him? Vernon's been told he's got to serve a minimum of 16 years behind bars. Kent Online News. 
A man's been convicted of sexually assaulting a schoolboy on a bus from Ashford. The teenager told a court David Sharp sat next to him and started a conversation before touching him inappropriately on the stagecoach service in December 2017. The 69-year-old from Apsley Street denied the allegation but has been found guilty by a jury. He'll be sentenced in January. Elsewhere, a man who used to live in Medway has been extradited from Australia after being accused of historic child sex offences. 64-year-old Leonard Sheldon from Quinns Rock in Perth has been flown back to the UK to face 10 charges. The offences are said to have happened in Rochester in the 1970s. He's due at Crown Court next month. The new Bishop of Dover will be officially installed at Canterbury Cathedral this weekend. Rose Hudson Wilkin will lead religious operations across a large part of Kent. The 58-year-old is the first black woman to become a Church of England bishop. Lucy's been hearing more about her story. I was born, I should say I was lucky to have been born and brought up in Montego Bay, Jamaica. And, uh, and, and spent my formative years there. So it meant that by the time I got to the UK, I was already cooked <laughs> and formed and made. And, 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 and so that meant for me, the important um, thing about that is that when you come to a new place, uh, different culture, different climates, everything, If you've had that fantastic foundation, then you actually know who you are as a person and you're not easily shaken or rocked by the challenges that comes with, you know, migrating to a new country. So, um, as I said, my formative years were in Jamaica. I came here, I trained uh, with the church army because women I knew that women were allowed to be involved in leadership roles within the Church Army, which is uh, an organization that um, trains people as evangelists. Men and women are trained as evangelists, and we work in churches, we work in prisons, we work in hospitals, we work all over, in parishes all over. And so that's what I did, because I was 14, actually, when I first had my sense of calling to ministry. But of course, women were not allowed in ordained ministry, and hence why it was the church army that I first began my uh, ministry in. And then eventually I was ordained a deacon um, here in the United Kingdom in 1991. And in 1994, women were first allowed to be priest in the Church of England. And I was ordained a priest in the first batch in my diocese of Litchfield at the time. And you mentioned there, obviously, it wasn't that long ago that women weren't allowed to be in these leadership roles within the church. And you're also one of the first women bishops, aren't you? How does that feel? Well, to be in, to be in that role is a surprising one for me. I never imagined that I would be. Um, so it, it still feels that I am opening a window and looking through the window at myself in that role. And it may take a long while to, um, to adjust to that, but I'm on that journey. <laughs>
And you're also the first black woman to mm. become a bishop as well. What yeah. does that mean to you? Well, again, when I look back at my beginnings in Montego Bay, Jamaica, I would never have imagined to be in this role. I think what it means for me uh, is perhaps less than what it means for the majority of people from a minority ethnic background. That's where it has greater meaning, I believe. Because frankly, because of my beginnings in Jamaica, I simply see myself, you know, as Rose. You remember that song, It's Simply Jenny from the Block? (laughs) This is Rose from the Block. So I don't actually... I don't actually walk around thinking I'm a woman, I am black. You know, uh, you know, I'm simply Rose. However, I have been inundated with amazing emails, messages, WhatsApp, uh, phone calls from and, and people stopping me on the street at the train station, wherever they see me. And, and in particular, those who are black say to me, this is amazing. We are so thrilled to see someone who looks like us in that role. So what the church has done is something magnificent, not for me, but for the millions of black people in this country who have not seen that site. And, uh, you, you know, it's, you know I, I took a phone call from someone yesterday, and he says, you don't know me, but I want you to know how proud you have made us. <laughs> you know, it, and these are the kind, of, this is just a, a, a sample of the, the numerous hundreds of calls and letters and emails that I am getting. So the church has done something major, mega, for its minority ethnic population. That's really incredible. Mm. And it's, it's really important, isn't it, that people don't just see church as something, you know, for white, middle-class, mm. older men and in those leadership roles, isn't mm. it? Absolutely. And for such a long time, the church has been in, in that dangerous position where it has presented itself in that way. And, uh, and for a long time, you know, I have ministered in Litchfield Diocese, in Southwark Diocese, in, uh, in London Diocese, and I know for a fact that had it not been for its minority ethnic population, the Church of England would not have a presence in parts of our inner cities really. And so, uh, you know, the church has been slow, but we're, we're, we're getting there. It's a work in progress. It's a work in progress. But I should say that, you know, we shouldn't just single out the church to say the church has been terrible at being inclusive, because frankly, this is the society that we live in. You know, I've always, mind you, wanted the church to lead by example, Um, But we're catching up. We're catching up. So let's talk about your new role then. How excited are you to be taking up the position officially this weekend? Oh, I am extremely excited. My goodness. My feet hasn't touched the ground yet. (laughs) 
since the consecration. It's been, it's been just amazing. I, you know, I don't know when I will stop smiling inside and, and outside from the experience of the consecration and, of course, this weekend's installation, and, and more importantly, the work that lies ahead, getting to know the diocese, the people, the places, the projects, walking alongside those people of faith or no faith, and just being um, a part of the fabric of uh, the Diocese of Canterbury. Absolutely. And what do you think you can bring to the role? I know you've spoken about maybe having like a fresh outlook on things to um, perhaps people who've who've done, who've be, been bishop before. Um, but what's your sort of main aim and what are you looking to do in Kent? You know, I, I in terms of what I hope to bring, I believe that faith is not just something we do one day per week whether it be a Saturday or a Sunday or whichever day, you know, religious day we, we, we give importance to, I believe that faith is who we are. And if faith is who we are, then I believe that it should be lived and lived with great conviction and confidence. And, and, and I hope that that's going to be part of what I bring uh, someone who uh, lives faith in a real way and encourage faith amongst others to be lived in a, a real way and not just as something we do occasionally, but something that actually radiates joy from us in such a way that others will think, wow, their lives been changed by that. I want my life to be changed by it too. And what what have you made of Kent so far? Well, I have I have been to Kent before, and I have been to the cathedral other times, and I have been to other parts of um, uh, Kent. You know, the seaside. I have been to Dover on a few occasions. I've actually preached. Uh, and taken a service in the, the beautiful little chapel in the castle. But, you know, um, what has been wonderful is coming in my role as Bishop of Dover is the absolute warmth that I have received and continue to receive. Someone was uh, riding their bicycle yesterday as I was walking down the hill, and he stopped and he introduced himself to, him, to me. He said, I know who you are. You're the Bishop of Dover. <laughs> and, and I said, wow, thank you for stopping. May I hug you? <laughs> so I hugged him. <laughs> so, 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 no, it's been the warmth that I have received from... Uh, all different kinds of people uh, has been amazing and I uh, you know long may it be <laughs> that's fantastic that you've had such a warm reception mm, from mm, everyone mm. Um, and you've got children as well haven't you so are you sort of going to be striving to get young people more involved in religion and obviously preaching that message like you said before that it's not just one day a week that it's mm. it's about how you live your life 
Absolutely. Now, I'm very lucky that here um, we have so many universities, you know, so people, young people are here, um, uh, not just passing through in terms of university life, but for us to see that uh, as a, a very formative and important time in their lives to reach them. When I actually went to my, my church in, in Hackney, northeast London, one of the first things I did was to invite all the young people together. They were the first group that I met, all the young people, all different ages. And I said to them, I want you to tell me, um, you know, what it is that we need to do for you so that when you wake up and your parents say to you, today is Sunday, that you jump out of bed and says, yes, we're going to worship. So, 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 so yes, I think it is important that we teach the next generation what this faith means. And it's not just about sitting them down and, and telling them, but it is actually about living it in their midst. Because, you know, I speak about my own faith that I didn't learn my theology at theological college. I learned my theology as a child growing up in the Caribbean, where the adults around me lived faith. You know, they trusted God. You hear them talking about it so normally and so naturally as they went about their daily task. It, so it was quite sort of, wow, you know, this God is real. He's right here. You know, he wasn't somewhere we go to church to. He was right here in the home. You know, the, the, the adults would wake up in the morning and they would kneel right there by the bedside and they would ask God to guide them throughout that day. It was just amazing. It was right there. So I want our young people, as I've done with my own children and, and now grandchildren, um, to experience. When you've got something good, you want to tell others about it and share it with others. And, and so I want us to live faith in a way that our changed lives will change to help to change their lives too. And on Saturday then, is, is it a ceremony where you're being installed at Caterbury? Yes, it, it, it's, it's the, in the context of Evensong, and I know the cathedral is known for its beautiful Evensongs. Um, and so, yes, I'm going to be installed at the ceremony to install me legally. Um, so I have been consecrated already as a bishop, and now I'm going to legally be installed here in Canterbury Cathedral, um, the, the, the centre, as it were, for the diocese as a whole, which I will be taking care of on behalf of Archbishop Justin. And I imagine that will be a very proud moment for you when you're in the cathedral and officially then taking up that role. It will be very special. It will be extremely special. As a little girl growing up in Montego Bay, you've heard of Canterbury and you know that that was the mother seat, as it were, that gave birth to Anglicanism, so to speak. And to be here is, you know, there are no words. I don't know what the words are. And uh, um, to express the thoughts and the feelings that I have about being here. I'm looking forward to being in all parts of the, the diocese, um, you know, being in those places in particular where we have... Uh, extreme poverty 
and to be alongside and to bring hope, to bring hope to those who are most vulnerable in our community and to challenge, to challenge those who create policies, make policies, to ensure that we embrace not just some people, but all the people in our care. Kent Online reports. Detectives have launched an investigation after a woman told officers she was sexually assaulted in Margate. She's said to have been touched inappropriately as she walked in Cumberland Avenue on Tuesday night. The police are hunting a white man in his late teens or early 20s and say they're keen to speak to anyone who was in the area at the time. In submerged, a dad from Dover who died while on holiday with his wife had been stung by sea urchins. 54-year-old Christopher Wilson was kayaking off the coast of Zanzibar when he became ill in June. A coroner at an inquest into his death has ruled it was accidental. A cyclist in his 50s has been flown to hospital with serious injuries after colliding with a van near Dar- Police want to hear from anyone who saw the crash on Crossway Boulevard in Greenhithe on Wednesday. Three bikers who filmed themselves going almost 200 miles an hour and doing wheelies on a road near Tunbridge Wells have admitted dangerous driving. At Kent Online, you can see the footage, some of which was taken on the A21 in April. One of the men is from Dartford. He's been jailed for 10 months, while another's been locked up for six, and the third was given a suspended sentence. Now, shoppers have been re- reacting to plans for the redevelopment of a former department store in Canterbury. We told you in the week how the derelict Nason site could be turned into a retail arcade and market hall with flats and apartments. But the glass-fronted design for the city centre has received mixed views. I do think that basically it would be really nice if they did have some more housing, nice housing and affordable, and then it was small independent shops, which things you can't buy online, and a little restaurant would be very nice, and I think it would be nice for Canterbury rather than all these big stores that seem to be closing all the time. And what do you make of the design of the building? It's quite a new design, isn't it? Well, I think think a new design is, is quite nice because... I think going back to an old design, you're never going to get the original, are you? So you've got to go either or, really. So if it's modern, I think that's quite nice. To be honest with you, I haven't actually looked at the plans. I've only seen the image on the front of the uh, the Gazette. Um, My first impressions are it could be anywhere. It looks like it's something that... um, you know, it could be in the middle of Reading or, or being developed in Ashford, not right in the centre of uh, Canterbury, which prides itself on some beautiful architecture right next door at the, um, you know, the Lloyds building. Uh, and you've got some of these 16th, 15th century overhanging timber Tudor type structures. Uh, and then you've got this bland, um, simple kind of monopoly house shape of a building uh, that doesn't really reflect any of the materials that are the characteristics of Canterbury. There's no beauty in the design. It just seems to be designed by uh, like uh, a part one student um, who's basically been told develop something within the next half an hour and then we'll make a render of it and then we'll just um, send it off and get the planning approval. I don't think they've consulted any particular uh, architectural body or they, they don't haven't gla- um, grasped the, the historic context of Canterbury and what makes it different to any other town. It looks too big, and I think with a lot, uh, there's a lot of empty space already. Maybe they could fill the empty spaces and not build more. Instead of places looking derelict and grotty, you know, use what we already have.
and try and bring some character back into the place, not modern glass structures. It's, it's a historical town. It's, you know, just make use of that. Talk to me about what you think about the design. I mean, it looks very nice, and I'm sure it'll be something to, you know, really, yeah, nice to look around. But um, I don't know, it just looks too big. And I wonder what's going to happen to the other end of the town at Phoenix and around that area. Are people just going to come here? So that end's going to lose trade. And then we're going to have the thing again where, where at the moment people tend to go to that end and not bother down here. Is that going to happen in reverse? So is that end going to get neglected afterwards? So it's difficult, but I think they should really use the space there is. I'm absolutely saying it's a no-go because this type of thing, there is nothing visual about it. You see these sort of buildings absolutely everywhere. It's a new concept. Uh, let's shove some shops in, some coffee shops, uh, fast food outlets, uh, apartments. Um, and what happens is after two to three years, the rents go up, your little shops move out and you're left with a lovely derelict shopping zone. Uh, and then I would add, this city is tourist and student inclined. This does not fit the image of this street. And I think it would be a pity because Canterbury has got a soul. Uh, this is soulless. It would be renamed Biggleston Yard and would cost £20 million. Kent Online reports. Police investigating a robbery at John Lewis in Ashford have released CCTV images of three men they want to speak to. Several people were threatened and four smartphones stolen from the shop last Wednesday evening. We now know the 82 TSB branches which are going to close next year and one is in Kent. It's been confirmed the branch in Ashford will be shut in September 2020. Around 370 jobs will be lost across the UK as part of the bank's three-year strategy to transform the way it operates. Four GP surgeries in North Kent have been forced to close following an inspection by the healthcare watchdog. The sites in Greenhithe, Bean, Darrenth and Bexley, which are part of the Elmdean Group, provide services to more than 9,000 patients. It's after the Care Quality Commission said they must undertake urgent work to meet the required standards of patient care. At Kent Online, you can see pictures of what a new skyscraper nicknamed the Ashford Shard could eventually look like. Home Plus on Beaver Road is being demolished to make way for the 16-storey building if plans are approved. The whole development would be made up of more than 200 flats with a restaurant on the top two floors. And the largest developer of logistics facilities in Europe could be opening a new industrial park in Kent. It's reported Panatoni has reached a deal to buy the former Aylesford newsprint site for £75 million. But Tunbridge and Morling Borough Council say they haven't been approached by the company just yet. Kent Online Sports. Football first and Gillingham will be aiming to reach the third round of the FA Cup for a second successive season this weekend. They're hosting Doncaster at Priestfield on Sunday after they knocked out Sunderland in the first round replay. Boss Steve Evans is glad they're playing at home. Well, you'd always rather be at home in the Cup, you know, for a whole host of reasons. Number one is your, your support, you know, and our support here at 
Prince Will certainly my time is, and before it, when I used to come as an opposition manager, they're like the, the little 12th man, sometimes the 13th and 14th. So it's, it'd be good here on Sunday. You know, it's different, obviously, we've not been a Saturday as well. So perhaps different types of supporters, probably more youngsters and kids as well around. So we're looking forward to it. I've been fortunate in the FA Cup. You know, the, the run of the ball has gone away on occasions and we've beat a host of championship clubs and earned the right to play some Premier League clubs and go to the likes of Old Trafford. They're days that and occasions that will last not just with you, but your football club and supporters forevermore. Um, but we have to beat Doncaster Rovers to earn the right to be in the draw. And what comes out of that draw will be. It's just it's just the luck of the draw, and it's true. It's one you don't want to talk about because you have to earn the right. And we're playing against a team who, for me, are, are on the cusp of, of being in that top group in, in League One, and we know how difficult that challenge is. They've got some top players. Uh, the young captain has, has just signed a new deal I read in the week, and... As a young man, I gave his football league debut to, to Mansfield when I took him alone from Sheffield United. So, brilliant lad. And, and they'll come here with all sorts of threats, so we need to be ready. They've got a host of players. They've got a good, experienced manager in Darren. He'll have them organised. They'll have them efficient. They'll have done the homework. Listen, we, we, need, we know we need to be a step up from a Sunderland performance, and that was good. But we need to be a step up to make progress. It'll be a tough challenge. We've dealt with Sunderland. Can we deal with Doncaster? It's a question mark over all of us. Cup tie football is, is one-offs, aren't they? You don't normally get a second bite at the cherry, so to speak. You, you lose a league game like we did last week. You go back next Saturday, and if you go next Saturday and win, it's quickly moved on. You don't go back to the cup if you're out, do you? You're out. So we're, we're looking forward to it immensely. I know Doncaster will be as well. Um, Sunday makes it a little bit different. I think it's going to be bright and dry, which is makes it different from recent days, trying to plough through the mud on the training ground. Um, so we're all looking forward to it. Is, is, will, it be, will it be cagey? Will it be edgy? I'm not so sure. I think it's cup-tie football with two teams that full of good players that will want to win. The Jills head into the game off the back of a 1-0 defeat away to AFC Wimbledon in League One. Midfielder Ollie Lees told us how the team's feeling this week. Yeah, the mood's still very bright, very positive. That's how we try and keep it. I mean, we've, we've been playing really well. We've been, frustratingly, we couldn't get the result that we wanted last weekend, but I think anyone who was there watching saw how dominating the performance it was. And it was one of them days where the ball just wouldn't go in the back of the net for us and everyone's had them in their careers. And hopefully that's our one out of the way for this season and we'll score plenty more goals to come. You always want a home tie. You always want to play in front of your fans and we have been good of late here. So uh, hopefully there's another, another win on the cards on Sunday. We want to beat Doncaster so we get the big teams. Sunderland were the biggest team in the last round and we got them and we beat them. So you've got to take these challenges head on, I think. And we, like I've said many times before, we can beat anyone. Yeah, I haven't seen much of them, to be honest, but uh, the lads said they were good at the start of the season. I know we've got a draw and they're, all, they're, they're a tough side. They've had championship history. They've got a good manager and they play some good football. So it'll be a tough game. But like I said, all the games, even if you get a, a low conference north, conference south side, they're, they're tough games because they're different games. So it's, it's the FA Cup. It's special and this is a game we're looking forward to. Elsewhere, Maidstone will also be hoping to keep their FA Cup dreams alive on Sunday. They're travelling to take on Blackpool in the second round. Craig's been chatting to Stones manager Hacken Hayretin and head coach of football John Still. What's got to happen Sunday to beat a team like them? We've got to work hard. We've got to play hard. We've got to do everything right. We hope that we catch them on a bad day and we've got to play to our maximums. But anything could happen. We know we've got to play to our maximums. Great day for the club, great day for the players, great day for us, maybe more, for more, more so for me and John, but we, we've, got to, we've, got to, we've got to work hard, play hard to our maximums and hope we can catch them. I think John said when the Jaws, I think you said proper football club, I think is what you called them, wasn't it? It is, it? A, a Premier League club, wasn't mm. it? When, when Ollie was there, Ian Ollie. Yeah. A Premier League club and, uh, you know, I know they've had 
problems ownership wise I, I believe I don't know the full extent of it but Still I know there. I know no I think there's new yeah. people now is he gone yeah yeah, yeah, gone, yeah, yeah. new people now and that seems to have rekindled the club uh, because I think sometimes supporters weren't going and, and that sort of stuff but I've been there I've, I've took teams there it's a proper club with a yeah, proper paper, stadium paper. and they're playing like winning football at the moment but all we can go down at is play to our absolute maximum if they ain't good enough we go okay we turn around come yeah. on we go we've had a great day but if they don't play to their maximums as well we might give us half a chance I've got a little look on your face that makes Absolutely. you think you might fancy it <laughs> well we, we have to fancy it you know that's you know when you, when you do this job when you play football or, or you manage football teams you've got to have dreams haven't you you know, you've got to have dreams. When you're a kid, you want to play for Manchester United or Manchester City or us. Not many people do. But if you ain't got a dream, it's, you know... I just want our club to have a good day out. Yeah, I want good day out, make, up, make, 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 make the club badge proud. You never know what could happen. Because the cut run's been great for supporters as well, isn't it? The supporters are so... Yeah. You know, hugely on side again, aren't they, after the last Yeah, the last season, again, even here, they weren't take a load, they made a lot of noise. How many are 100 here, but whatever. No, look, for us, we're going to go and enjoy the day, do the best that we possibly can. Hopefully the supporters will enjoy it and make them proud and, and a bit of kudos for the boys. Dover are also in FA Cup second round action this weekend. They're away to Peterborough on Sunday afternoon. And in cricket, Kent Zach Crawley has made his England test debut against New Zealand overnight. Rain ended the first day in Hamilton early with the host closing on 173 for three. Kent's Joe Denley is also playing. England need to win the match to draw the two-game series. That's it for me today. For more news at any time, you can head to kentonline.co.uk. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.